0: formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you you know, it's not that, as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields, you got to dig in and do some real, real work down there. southeast whitetail i'm uh coming live from my truck right now i'm on the road um just spending the day picking up venison i've got uh i've got two deer and a processor to pick up and i got three uh there's three buckets from the farm that i need to uh, drop off for uh, mounts so just spend the day doing this and i'm recording uh just a quick little intro to today's podcast. Don't worry. Um, we recorded today's podcast in the studios and not on the road out of a truck. Um, today is Henry Jackson. He um, runs an Instagram page called the Prattsburg Project. He's got uh, a Georgia farm right there in Prattsburg, Georgia, middle, middle of the state. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really... I didn't know Henry before we started talking, um, we, you know, connected on, on Instagram and I didn't know where the conversation was going to go. Uh, I knew a little bit about what he did based on his Instagram content and I got to tell you, we have a lot of similarities as far as how we manage deer, how we manage wildlife habitat, our farms. Uh, we have, a there's a, there's a lot of things that we, we are just, you know, on the same page with this. This is a great conversation, a uh, great guy. And uh, it, it, it was pretty damn cool to talk to someone that does about the same things we do in South Carolina. And, uh, and I know there's, there's, I mean, I've talked to many of, y'all, many of y'all over the past couple of weeks and there's a lot, I mean, there's so many people doing the same stuff. We are, um, it, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing new. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it's just kind of cool to talk to various people Doing the same things, but just on different landscapes and different areas with maybe a little bit different goals. But um, they're out there, you know, busting their ass um, year-round to better conservation and better better their land. So with that that being said, we're going to get right into it. Uh, Y'all get out there and hunt this weekend, grind. Uh, It's going to be really cold, wet. Uh, It's going to be freezing in the southeast. But you know what? you don't know unless you go so good luck out there hunting merry christmas and let's get right to it with henry jackson of the Prattsburg project ladies and gentlemen welcome back to southeast whitetail i have on the line today henry jackson uh from georgia happy to have you on the line henry thanks for thanks for joining me today
1: hey i, I really appreciate the invitation i'm happy to be here and talk about hunting whitetail deer and uh, this is going to be a good chat
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it uh we we you know recently started following each other on social media and um i've really liked what you're putting out there on your instagram page and uh very intrigued to talk to you so can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and you know where you live where you hunt and what's your you know the kind of general terrain of your of your farm there in georgia
1: yeah of course so uh yeah so uh last year started uh just kind of posting some general habitat work and and hunting and fishing that we do on the the family property in, in Georgia. And that account is, uh, the Pratsburg project and, um, the, uh, the family farm, it's, you know, it's a little under 150 acres, which is pretty small uh, compared to our neighbors. I know, you know, there's a lot of guys in our area that are hunting on 10, 15, 20 acres. And, um, and they're thinking, you know, God, who's this guy talking about having a small piece of land, but, uh, but you know, most of the tracks around us are, are considerably bigger and, um, and are, or some of them are managed to a much higher degree. Some of them aren't managed at all. And so we kind of fall, kind of fall in the middle there with, with our neighbors, but, uh, we're in, we're in Talbot County, which is a, uh, a, a county in Georgia that's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, on the Western end of the state, we're getting over close to the, the, uh, Georgia, Alabama line. We're right on the fall line, which is a a geographic feature. It's the separation between the Piedmont and the coastal plain regions of the state. And, uh, you know, 100 million years ago, uh, everything south of the fall line was underwater, was under ocean, under saltwater. And as uh, the oceans receded and exposed the southern half of uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, uh, and almost the entirety of Florida, uh, you've got the uh the the the, visu- the visible separation here of the piedmont and the coastal plain regions i mean you can stand you can stand at the beginning of the fall line and just watch the elevation plummet down to the coastal plain it's a really cool area in georgia the rivers are are beautiful uh and the land has got some really great features to it uh so it's it's just a really cool spot mm. excuse me really cool spot to have grown up and to have hunted uh and uh, uh you know, to, to be able to manage property there now, it's, it's a lot of fun. We get a lot of joy out of
0: it. It sounds like a great property. So we, so on the fall line, you know, Tom it' talking about it being a, you know, a visual distinction. Is there, I'm a, i am guess I, I guess I shouldn't assume, is there a pretty big distinction in the soil?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so- as far
0: as planting trees or food plots or really anything.
1: Yes, so uh, in our area, we're we're still kind of the the northern edge of it. So you know, a lot of uh, a lot of good dirt, essentially. We've got good dirt. Yeah. If you get down on the south end of the fall line, man, everything turns to sand because yeah. it it was literally the ocean bed. Uh, you know, uh, on, on a geologic time frame, mm-hmm. not that long ago, right? And so yeah, it gets pretty sandy down there, and and it, it changes a lot. You know, it's flat. It's flat as a pancake. It's ag land. The aquifers are real close to the surface. People are irrigating. They're growing row crops. Like it is ag land. Um, our area, we're just I mean, we're just a few miles north of where that starts. So we're still in the in the Piedmont area, real rich. You know, dark earth. Lots of rolling hills. Some elevation changes you know, and, uh, and lots of good, healthy timber, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that, that's, um, that's interesting. I mean, that, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a very cool area, at least just, you know, historically speaking, as far as the, um, as far as the terrain. Yeah. I, some of the land I've hunted on over the years, especially in, you know, coastal Georgia, um, yeah, it, it, it can be very sandy. I mean, it's, there's some sandy areas, where I am in South Carolina, we have, we have a, a lot of, we're kind of in that, you know, sand hills, Piedmont area, but we, we have a good amount in our area of um, Carolina Base. you know, th- those depressions that they, I, I, I think it's pretty much believed after, I think it's been proven by some studies as far as, I, I think it's media, meters, <laughs> um, meteors, that have, you know, hit the earth years ago, easy for me to say, and left these big depressions and some of those Carolina bays have the best soil. I mean, we'll, we'll be, it's like it, you know, it's like around us we're, you know, high ground uplands, sandy areas. And then these depressions are just good black soil. Very good for um, farming food plots or timber. So o- on your farm, you mentioned 150 acres. What's kind of like the rough composition, or can you kind of walk us through like uh how much of it's wooded? And if it's wooded, is it, you know, hard woods, is it planted pines? Is there a lot of thick bedding, or you have primarily more cover or food, or what's kind of the makeup and how you hunt that hunt that property based on those, you know, terrain or those, you know, land features?
1: So the the, the property, it's all part of what was once uh tobacco and cotton plantations and so there there's there's uh residual pasture open fields that that are left behind from all of that work on the land and uh, there's a lot of terraces that that were cut by hand you know by uh you know by by slave labor um and it's it's uh a fascinating thing to walk down some of these hillsides and to see these terraces that were hand cut and just to imagine the amount of labor that went into oh, yeah. carving these hillsides into, um, you know, uh, a, a landscape that could be planted, uh, to, to grow crops. And, and, um, it, when when my family bought the property in 1978, my grandfather bought it and he was a, he was a butcher of all things. And this was 1978 in Georgia. If you were a butcher, uh, you, uh, you, you could put four kids through college and you could afford to buy a country place, which is hmm. crazy to think yeah, of now. Right? It is. And, uh, but, uh, he was not a hunter. He was, uh, he worked, uh, he was a, a World War II vet and, uh, and he, he worked, and that was what he did. My dad, my uncle, and their friends, when they were teenagers, they started hunting private land that was open to the public, Georgia Craft land. And so it was owned by Georgia Craft, which was a timber company, but anybody could go hunt. And they hmm. were, you know, teenagers. They just they went to Kmart, spent 30 bucks on a shotgun, and rolled out into the quote unquote country to, because uh, they wanted to start hunt. And they got mixed up with some, some pretty colorful characters that were running around the these these pieces of property back in the in the early 70s and they really got into it man like they 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 bit into the idea of of hunting hard and my grandfather had this idea that he was going to be a, a a cattle rancher he was a he was a John Wayne maniac and and so they you know they bought they they bought the place that we're on we're on now in in the late 70s and um with the idea of it being a working farm and it, it it never became a working farm it uh my grandfather passed away in the early 80s from uh injuries that uh he sustained when he was fighting overseas in world war ii and um uh, my my dad and my uncle just uh they, they always they've always managed it for wildlife they've always done food plots they've always cut timber that kind of thing but it, it never turned into what you would think of as a as a working farm so it, it's very and, I, and i'm 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 saying all this to answer your question of it's it's very um visually compositionally it's very much what you would think of as an old piece of farmland mm-hmm. that is no longer used as a working farm that has been allowed to in some areas grow up to be pretty thick uh and in some areas it's got timber that's managed planted pines that are managed on a on a regular basis and then um, hardwood ridges that we pretty much leave alone. And so nice. you know, it's it's really kind of, it's it's in thirds. We've got about a third of the property is residual pasture that has never, never really grown in um, since we've had it. About a third of it is planted pines that are all fairly mature and ready for a good cut. And then about a third of it is, is hardwood ridges that uh, that we don't do a whole lot with. We keep them thinned. Mm-hmm. and uh, and that's about it and so we've got we've got a mix of uh, of a little bit of everything one thing we don't have is real good bedding area because all of our pines are fairly mature they're ready for a cut yeah uh, but we're surrounded by uh by land that is uh mostly pines that are around 10 years old a little bit younger and so one of our biggest challenges is keeping deer on our property because we're surrounded by these big tracks 600,000 2,000 acre tracks of land that are on a different you know they're on a different growth schedule than we are and so we're constantly trying to figure out ways to draw deer out of that bedding area that is literally right there at the property line and get them over into our area so that you know, so that so they're they're legal for us to hunt.
0: Yeah, I mean what what you describe sounds just beautiful. I mean the the farm kind of de- sec- sectioned up in like a thirds, um, and then just just an old farm, you know, old farm farm site that just kind of left to grow up. I mean that that sounds. Pretty unique in something that uh, you know a lot of tracks of land are. not I mean, a lot of tracks of land out there, especially in, you know in our part of the southeast, it's it might be just wall to wall, excuse me, wall to wall pine trees of the same age class. So sometimes, so you know, uh, that diversification of habitat is uh, is incredible to have. What are some things? Do you, do do y'all do some do some land management work to kind of work the land and kind of thing conservation related or, you know, TSI, do you you know, do any kind of controlled burns or, uh, you know, early successional disking or anything to work the land. Um,
1: yeah, a little bit of everything. So yeah. one of the first things that, uh, my, my grandfather did when he, when he bought the place was that, uh, he went and bought a brand new tractor bought old Alice or you know back then it was brandy bought an Alice Chalmers tractor. It was the it was the uh the the smallest one that was still run a hay baler essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh and you know like I said they never they never they never did the work and farm thing, but my dad and uncle always have always planted food plots. And so right out of the gate they're putting in food plots. Yeah. And um uh, you know they they picked up different implements over the years and expanded their ability to to manage the landscape and um, we didn't start putting prescribed fire through the landscape until about I don't know about twelve maybe fifteen years ago and that was really uh, kind of the catalyst for for my interest in it um, you know of course I was also a kid but uh, going from you know just kind of letting them handle everything to being further involved in the management of the property uh it you know nothing captures a teenager's interest like lighting the woods on fire that's right and and watching that that wall of flame go rip roaring through some pine trees man i mean it, it burns hot and fast and and uh so yeah when we started putting fire through the landscape i really got interested in management and being more involved in in uh and and helping out and that's only grown as, you know, I'm in my thirties now and, and my dad and my uncle are getting, getting a good bit older. And, um, so as they're, you know, as they're backing off a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm able to to step in and, and have a little bit of a, of a stronger role on it. And, um, yeah, we do disking, we do food plots. We put fire through the landscape on a schedule. We had uh, Georgia DNR come out a few years ago and write us up a prescribed burn plan where we're burning different tracks, you know, different years kind of thing to, you know, to keep, keep it all moving in the right direction uh, we don't put any fire through the hardwoods of course only through the planted pines and through some of the pasture areas just to kind of keep them under control and you know since we started putting fire through the landscape uh the just the general health of it has skyrocketed as it'll do um we started uh you know seeing a lot more uh quail coming back nice uh, when I, yeah when i was a kid you know we always had a covey around somewhere but uh-huh. they kind of come and go but um once we started putting fire through the landscape, man, we've, we've got a solid two to three coveys that are pretty much always hanging out and we don't shoot over them. Uh, uh, but, uh, it's just cool to see them and to have them there. And, you know, they'll give you a little bit of a mild heart attack every once in a while. You're walk <laughs> walking through the woods and they come up under your feet. But, oh man. Um, yeah, you know, putting fire through the landscape has really been one of the best things that that we've ever done mm-hmm. for the, uh, for the property. Uh, it's really been a phenomenal change.
0: Yeah. Fire, has has been my favorite management tool for a long time now um yeah it, it's just what you get out of it is just incredible I mean, you talk about you know you mentioned earlier about you know pulling deer from the bedding off your property i mean you burn and, and get some natural vegetation especially like early season early hunting season when that stuff's you know still green and and still young um that could be that could be killer, you know, especially when as the season pro- progresses, and I and I find this, I mean, it's it, it's 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 like clockwork. Once the season starts and people start hunting over the ag fields and the food plots and the feeders if they have them, those destination kind of man-made feeding sites, the deer pick up on it and they, you know, they'll start to kind of hang back. And that's when you start to kind of hunt around those sites in the in in the woods, the timber where you've burned. And they're, you know, in there taking their time, milling through eating. And they're going to that food plot, but they, you know, they're not gonna get there till dark, maybe, as the season progresses. And and then you hunt in the woods. I mean, it, it's just uh it it's amazing. And like what you said, quail, turkey. I mean, there's just there's so much that it does. And then bang for your buck. I mean, we, we were talking off air about, you know, spending money and that's, you know, we've in in our farm, we've been running budgets and scaling back and really understanding how much we're spending, how much we're putting into, you know, hunting on, on, like what's going towards our deer hunting or, you know, hunting annually and what's going towards like capital improvements. Cause some of the stuff you do for land management is kind of more like TSI to where you're actually, working towards that timber crop that you're going to sell. And there's other things you're doing that's just really kind of towards hunting that you're not really getting a return on. So it's, um, I mean, I think fire is just, is, it, it, it's hard to beat it bang for your buck. Um, and I know a lot of people are scared of it. You know, they've had, you know, um, maybe a bad, you in, know, in bad instance. And maybe they know someone that did, but, um, I mean, you can probably speak for this if you, if you do it the right way, Catch a fire breaks. Understand the wind. Know what you're doing. It's it's not as I don't think it's as dangerous as what people think until they uh, until they've seen one and understand that it's a very low flame, low burn. You're going to back into the wind. Um, what, what's and also,
1: your so the once you get on a regular burn schedule, the intensity of the fire yeah. is significantly reduced. Right. You yeah. know, you go in there, it, you, there hasn't been fire. Maybe there hasn't been fire pushed through the landscape since the the Native Americans were burning, um, mm. which people don't realize was a huge part of Native American culture. Yeah, they were constantly pushing fire through the landscape. But, you know, uh, let's say that there hasn't been fire coming through a track of land in 100 years. There's a lot of fuel built up on the ground and it's going to burn real hot and it can scare the bejesus out of somebody, especially if things might get a little out of hand, right? It happens. Uh, but once you get even just that one initial fire out of the way, when you come back, whether if you're going to burn every year, every other year, every two years, whatever schedule you're on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: those subsequent fires are going to be much milder. They're going to be less intimidating, easier to control, that kind of thing. And the same thing with your fire breaks. Like once you've got that initial fire break cut, when you go back the following year or, or the, or every other year, that fire break just cuts it a little bit easier every year. And um, there's also a lot of resources out there, at least in our, our part of the world, there's a ton of resources. Uh, there's been a lot of funding and focus that has gone into prescribed fire in the conservation space in the last decade in this, in this part of the state. And uh, there's a ton, there's a, there's a couple of landowner clubs that are, that are in part funded by the state and by the forestry commission where there's, uh, you know, you can get, uh, there's one group at the central Georgia landowners or something like that, uh, that where you can go get a trailer. It's a hundred bucks to rent this big box trailer. Mm-hmm. And inside of that trailer are two backpack blowers, shovels, rakes, pickaxes, uh, Pretty much everything you need to, to run a successful burn nice and it, i mean these resources are out there and there's training classes that are free there's online yeah. classes that are free there's certifications that only cost a couple hundred bucks to go do something like that so um the the need you can't really claim anymore i'm, I'm intimidated by this because there's so many resources out there to help landowners put fire through their property and to help you get comfortable with it. It's just a matter of taking advantage of those resources that are there, literally waiting on you to, to pick up the phone.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're right. There, there's a, there's a lot of resources out there for people to, for people to, you know, look at, um, if they want to start playing a control burn, which if I could only do one thing, if, if it was plant food plots or burn, I'd, I'd burn every year, um, every single year. So that's a lot on the talking about the land and 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 you know uh working the land what it it as far as hunting as far as this farm and the prattsburgh project is it is the is your main focus or your main kind of passion just like the the land itself the conservation side or are you how much of it are you hunting? Are you a big hunter? Is that, you know, part of, of it? Or are you just, you know, a lot of people like, for instance, turkeys, I like hunting turkeys, but I'm not die hard. I'm die hard about whitetails. I love hunting turkeys, but what I really like about turkeys is just, it's just uh, trying to better our population. Our population is kind of come and gone and, but after, you know, um, specifically working towards, you know, quail and Turkey and a lot of that stuff helps out deer too, but I, I, I enjoy, you know, burning and working on those sites and trapping predators around the season and try to get those numbers up more than I do probably killing them, you know? Um, so it is, is the, what's the hunting like? Yeah,
1: we're primarily deer hunters and, you know, we'll, we'll turkey hunt occasionally. Yeah. And, um, we'll, um, you know, we'll kill a few turkeys a year if we're lucky. Uh, but we're not, uh, you know, we're not, we're not chomping at the bit for turkey season like we are for deer season. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know why, uh, other than maybe it's just, uh, you know, that's just, you know, when my dad and my uncle decided they wanted to to, to figure out how to hunt when they were teenagers, they, you know, they, deer hunting was what they got into. And that's just kind of what we've always done. Um, you know, we, we've got, we've got turkeys on the property, you know, I'll, I've got opening day for this coming season marked on my calendar. I'll be out there. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll be much more interested that time of year in, uh, looking for sheds, getting, yeah. you know, getting a summer food plot or two put in that kind of thing. Um, then I will be, you know, that I will be turkeys. And uh, we, we like to joke, there's, uh, there's some guys that uh, if you're not familiar with Flint River Plantation on Instagram, you ought to follow those guys, the Lumpson family. Um, they've got a huge piece of property that's not too far from us and and they a really serious management plan. And we always joke that uh, the, the night before turkey season, every turkey in the county flies over to the Lumpson's place. <laughs> and, and they all live over there. And so, you know, we, we play with it a little bit, but we're not, we're not serious about it like we are, like we are whitetail. And we yeah. also really, re- we also really enjoy small game. Like, uh, uh, I mean, there's, you know, walking through the woods on a squirrel hunt, it doesn't get a whole lot a whole lot better than that you know and, and man if, if squirrels weighed 150 pounds we'd probably be, be squirrel hunting more than we are deer hunting but uh yeah it takes a, it takes a lot of squirrels to fill up a chest freezer right And um and uh so so yeah we're we're man we're heavy on deer and we hunt uh harder than just about or more often uh kill more deer than just about anybody around us um when my when my, my family first kind of came onto this property most of the property surrounding it was similar to what they learned how to hunt on it was it was uh timberland owned by mm-hmm. george craft or mead or whoever that was it was privately owned open to the public and even in uh in the early 1980s i think it was 1982 uh man sports of field ran a, a piece in there. uh regional section about best places in the world to kill a big buck and they listed our little community Prattsburg, georgia as one of the best places in the world to kill a big buck and uh you know and dad dad likes to say that that uh that the traffic was as bad as as atlanta on the, on the <laughs> little dirt road going through the community that that year because everybody just flooded from all around yeah and um you know that was one of the last years that that, that property was surrounding property was, was private owned open to the public because then people started, you know, leasing became a thing. And so what that has turned into is that we've got a lot of, of, of out of state leaseholders on the property around us. And so these guys are, you know, Florida, North Carolina, um, other, you know, kind of all over the Southeast. And so they're not hunting a whole lot because it's a, and it's a trek to get, you know, you're, you're taking serious time off of work. Like you're loading yeah. up the family, you know, the kids are, are missing a little league game or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard enough for me and, it, yeah. and I don't live on the property. I'm about an hour away. It's hard enough for me with a full-time job, two kids, you know, and all that to, to get out and hunt. When I'm only an hour away, I can't imagine how hard it is for somebody that's eight hours away to get out to their place and hunt. Um, so we're surrounded mostly by, you know out of state leaseholders or landowners and so these guys are not hunting a whole lot so we yeah. we hunt a lot and we kill a lot of deer and um in a way that's good uh but in a way that's bad because we're a small piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. and there's there's three four of us that are that are hunting and killing a lot and uh it, they've got plenty of places to run to when the lead starts flying uh essentially yeah. right like so it's it's an interesting situation, man. It's a really interesting situation with the the amount of property around us that is barely hunted.
0: Yeah, I I, I know what you mean. I um, yeah, we I, I have always, I mean, my entire life, I've always seen a lot of Florida hunters um, over in South Carolina. I mean, I, I live in Savannah, which is right um, on the border, right right on the Savannah River, obviously. So I, I grew up hunting in South Carolina pretty much my entire life just because we were right on the border and we were a hunt club over there. And um, but yeah, I mean, Florida gets a lot of, I'm sorry, Georgia and South Carolina definitely gets a lot of Florida hunters. I think South Carolina, South Carolina gets a lot of out of state hunters just for their long season, you know, and in, in the especially the lower part of the state where you have a, a longer, you know, season. I might I might, you know, opens mid-August. But what you said is very spot on that um you know if someone has a lease, whether it's a couple guys or 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 even a hunting club, you know how much are they hunting? how big's their land? And then what are they really shooting? Um, I mean, we have some neighbors that um, I might not see. I mean, i I saw one I saw I saw a guy that has access next to us to hunt last weekend, uh, like for the first time. and he's he has access to or permission to hunt a lot of a lot of acres next to us. And I don't know how many deer they're shooting, but it can't be, it, I'd be shot it was double digits, um, on that tire piece. And so we look at that as like, I mean, there's so many deer that come from their property. And so we're trying to shoot as many does as, as we can to try to balance the herd. And there's so many people that aren't, you know, aren't shooting the does. I, I'm working on something about, you know, the current kind of, hunting uh hunting media f- obsession with like antlers you know just big bucks big giant bucks you know 200 inch bucks and i feel like that you know as like a society hunting society you know if if you think back to like the late 80s or at least like when your grandfather bought that farm in the 70s people weren't shooting does i mean it was i, I don't really think if you could you know you couldn't shoot does because they were we were trying to bounce back from the, from the uh, meat market days, you know, the, the populations were down. Then we finally had some, you know, seasons rules and regs don't shoot does. And then all of a sudden the late eighties rolls around and it's like, Hey, you know, it's time, you know, Joe Hamilton brings over the QDM philosophy from Texas and tries to explain to people through QDMA to shoot does. And now I, I kind of wonder where we're going to be years down the road, like later on in our lifetime, are we going to see a situation where the doe numbers just get crazy out of hand in some, some areas, of course, not across the country, but we're going to see that because people are just obsessed with buck with antlers, you know, socially.
1: They're, they're out of hand uh, around yeah. us for sure. You know, you talk about the uh, ratios of deer that you're seeing and that kind of thing. And, um, and, and, uh, QDM and and all that. Um, I've got I've got something here that uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to read it out. Uh, oh yes, it's, it's it's cool, man. If you haven't read this paper, especially with y'all, you know, being in Savannah, it, it it's cool. So the the paper is uh, the history of the Georgia Deer Stocking Program, and it was compiled by uh, a gentleman named Les Jeffries in uh, 1975. And Les was an intern at the Georgia Game and Fish Division of, of DNR. And so the, the second paragraph of the introduction is what I'm, what I'm referring to here. And, and he says, uh, he, Les writes in here that uh, uh, essentially that deer hunting would not be present today, today meaning 1975, had it not been for one of the brightest success stories of wildlife conservation. So at the beginning of the 20th century, white-tailed deer were practically extinct in the state, uh, the state meaning Georgia except for a few concentrated on the, uh, relatively inaccessible coastal islands and marshlands, but through the continuing and concerted stocking and management efforts initiated by Ranger Arthur Woody and Ranger Woody is a character in, uh, in Georgia deer hunting for sure. Anybody out there, that's not familiar with Ranger Arthur Woody. You got to look this guy up. He was, he was certainly, a, a certainly a nut, but, uh, he did a lot of wonderful things for, for hunting in Georgia and the Southeast. Uh, anyway, uh, If it wasn't for the management efforts initiated by Ranger Arthur Woody and the U.S. Forest Service and carried out by DNR, Georgia's deer population today, today meaning 1975, Mm -hmm. has been estimated between 200,000 and 250,000. So it's funny to me that in 1975, when uh, Les Jeffries wrote this paper, that uh, 200,000 deer in the state of Georgia was a, uh, a conservation miracle um now in 2019 dnr i think it was 2019 uh dnr did did a a deer survey and estimated uh as well as they could so who knows for sure right i mean how how, really how are you counting deer but uh estimated 1.2 million to 1.27 million deer that live in the state of georgia just a couple years ago so um the Georgian dnr put that out 1.2 million deer in the wow. state of Georgia, I think it might've been 2017, but I think it was 2019 that that service was conducted. It was somewhere in their survey, excuse me, that survey was conducted. So in 1975, we've got 200, 250,000 deer in the state. Uh, and then, you know, essentially now in the last few years, we've got 1.2 ish million deer in the state. That is a exploding population of white-tailed deer. Yeah. We are overrun yeah. with white-tailed deer. And from what we see in our area the large amount of those are does. Um,
0: Oh yeah. That that's the boat I'm in over my farm, South Carolina. Absolutely.
1: I was sitting on the stand the other evening and our, the best, the best stand on the property is produced mature deer after mature deer. Just every year. It's a beautiful area, big oak flat up on a ridgeline Mm -hmm. surrounded by planted pines. Acorns fall like raindrops. It's and um, I had, uh, I had 12 does all around me, just milling around me, eating acorns. And I could see, I could see the buck. He was down in, down off one edge of the ridge line, down in a thicket. And he had two or three other does with him. And he was, he was a nice deer. I definitely would have, would have, uh, you know, killed that buck if I had the opportunity and I hadn't have screwed it up. Right. So, and he's down there and man, I'm doing everything I can do to get that deer to come up that ridge line mm-hmm. There's acorns. There's does. It's the middle of the rut. I'm blowing the grunt call. I'm rat- rattling the horns. I've got the deco, I've got the decoy out. For God's sake, like I'm doing literally everything I can, and he's not coming. I don't blame him. I wouldn't have come up that hill either. Why would I climb a mountain?
0: <laughs> he's to got to the win- women and the acorns to go
1: deal with all that. When <laughs> there's does down there with him too, because there's so many does. Yeah. There's so many does. Yeah. So I agree with you. We've got way too many does and uh you know I, I i dude i'm all about shooting does i'll fill the freezer as quick as i can um and we eat a lot of venison uh so um more than happy i'm at let's see right now i'm at uh i'm, I'm at seven does this year nice um and uh i'm all about it uh and then yeah qdm came into our area ooh, mm-hmm. probably about 15 years ago i think it was and man uh the local hunting community was furious yeah, my dad and uncle and their friends included uh you know this is the end of hunting that we'll we'll never be able to kill anything uh mm-hmm. in our county it's four points on one side or uh, a spread of of 15 inches or larger is is the, the requirements there and man i remember uh you know, dad, my uncle, their their friends, are just raving about this like it's ridiculous. And you start to see the signs pop up on properties that were QDM, you know, kind of quote unquote properties. And and um, you know, for us, it 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 has done wonders for for the 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 bucks that we've killed on the property. When yeah. you look at you look at the deer killed prior to QDM, you know they're they're all right. You look at the deer that we started killing four or five years after qdm went into place in our county and now you're talking about you're talking about a really mature deer that you know would stand up anywhere uh, you know east of the mississippi as a a deer to be proud of um and and so there is that benefit to it is that the these these bucks are reaching a greater level of maturity um but i also agree with you is that um is that, uh, there is a, a fascination over, uh, a obsession over, um, you know, only killing these mature bucks. I get to hunt a lot. Uh, I've got a very understanding wife, uh, a a job that allows me to adjust my schedule a lot as I need to. I'm very lucky in that regard. And I've got a place to hunt anytime, anytime, anytime mm-hmm. I can drive an hour, I've got a place to hunt, right? There's not a whole lot of people that have those things, right? Uh, right. Uh, a a an understanding family, an easy, accessible place, a job that works with your schedule. And so if I was, if I didn't have, you know, even just one of those three things that allows me to hunt a lot, I don't know that I would be killing does like I'm killing does or advocating for (laughs) killing does. Right. Like if I'm hunting, if, if the only time I'm hunting is the rut because I'm working, I'm doing soccer games with the kiddos, that kind of stuff. Right. It's going to be real hard to go out and, and slay some does when I also, I really want that mature buck. So, um, uh, there's definitely that obsession over it. Part of me wonders how much of it is that so many of us as hunters don't have the time to, uh, to not, you don't have the time to focus on killing their does and still feel like they have a chance at that one, two, if you're really lucky, you know, mature bucks per
0: season. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I mean, at a certain point, that can become work. I mean, it it, it it if you're trying to shoot as many does as maybe you need to, if you if you have a big population, I mean, it, it can become work um, because you know you're you're you know you're a lot of times you're not really targeting a buck, but yeah, and and, and it can last most of the season. So it, uh, I, I you made an excellent point. I mean, everyone doesn't have that opportunity. It's, it, it's kind of like how some sometimes people will you know, bash on other hunters that, you know, kill a buck or an elk on like a guided outfitter. And it's like, why? You know, I mean, everyone doesn't have some, some place to hunt or farm like a you and I, or they might not have the time. They might be super busy. Maybe they're a single parent and, they, and the only time they can go is, is on an outfitter hunt. Well, good for them. There's nothing wrong with it. So, yeah, I mean, I understand someone might have a, a hunting lease and they can only hunt so many days. And so they're going to, you know, do what they can. So it, it it's um, I guess I just I don't know if if I feel like a lot of people that have the platforms, you know, whether they're a quote unquote hunting celebrity, you know, uh yeah, they're on TV show or like a you know, hunting media. I feel like there's not enough besides like the bio, the the nonprofits, the conservation groups, like the NDAs, or maybe like a Mississippi State University university of florida georgia auburn they have a lot of good and good phenomenal deer research they'll talk about that kind of stuff but you know people like you and me are are consuming their content like the hardcore hunters there's so much about these magazines and a lot of it's turning a clickbait you know it's just trying to get someone's attention they'll put the biggest buck on the cover but they're not talking about running fire through your property. Like, what a lot of stuff, what you're talking about, they're not covering that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're covering the new state record for Kansas, which is great, but that that that's meaningless to you and me. That's just meaningless because, like, I mean, a phenomenal buck for you and me is. A phenomenal buck for our area, and 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 and, and that's going to be that might look like a two year old, a two year old buck in Iowa. So I I just feel like there's not enough presence in, in the hunting space about shooting does you know. And, and but at the same time, it's like I get people like some certain states they might they don't have the deer populations that that the South does. They don't. I mean they they're not you know, they might only need to kill a, a couple does. So it's, it's definitely something that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. I, I feel like people should talk about it. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm doing this Southeast whitetail. So what, what were your hunting goals this year? Did you have some specific goals for your property this season?
1: This, this season was, was a, a big shift from normal. And, um, we, we had, uh, we had some uh, uh uh my dad had had a, a cancer battle that came up i'm sorry to in, hear that thank you in in june and he's doing he's doing well he's doing well um and uh and there's four of us that that hunt the property and so it's my, my dad and my uncle um and then uh a, a cousin of theirs uh and then myself and i don't mean i had a i had a Anytime I look at the work, this is a little bit sidebar, but I got to say it. Anytime I look at the work that's being done on bringing new hunters into the space, you know, that's been a big focus in the last four or five years, the whole R3 thing and all that, Mm -hmm. um, man, I, I realized how lucky, how blessed I was as a kid, because I had my dad and my uncle, my grandfather on my, on my mother's side was, was a big hunter my dad, my uncle, their cousin, guy named James, and then all of their friends. Because when I was a kid, we leased about five, about four hundred acres that wrapped around the the property that we own. And man, I grew up with all those guys letting me tag along, serving as mentors, honorary parents, kind of roles. And really, um, it's just not enough of that. There's not enough uh, folks out there taking you know taking kids under the wing and. And teaching them about this stuff but uh i was man i was lucky with that uh but um uh anyway so going into this season things were a little different because uh we we didn't feel like feel like dad was going to be in shape to hunt this year and and he's gotten out a little bit you know it's, it's it we got a blind set up where he can grab his crossbow and he can run out when he fills up to it but uh um we eat a lot of venison i mean we're primarily venison and this property is the last several years, we've managed to kill enough deer that, uh, we're, we're putting a lot of meat in, in, in four to five households. Um, there's the four of us that are hunting and then, uh, cousin James, his son, uh, doesn't hunt, but, uh, but enjoys a lot of the venison that comes off of the property. And, and so we were kind of going into this of like, all right, you know, my, my dad's a pretty, uh, pretty effective hunter. Uh, if he's out of commission this season cuz he's recovering from from this cancer fight we we've got to put some so we got to put some doughs down we got to put them down hard cuz you know we've got we've got freezers to fill cuz we really <laughs> enjoy having that venison year round you know so yeah um uh, we went into the season this year just kind of bloodthirsty, to be honest with you we went into it uh, ready to, ready, like to sta- ready to stack some doughs and fill <laughs> the freezers and And it was kind of, you know, mature bucks be damned this year. We're just, we're going to, we're going to stack deer meat to the sky. And and so that's what we've been doing. And we needed to do it anyway. Uh, It needed to be done anyway. But, you know, of course, going into this saying, we're not going to worry about killing big bucks this year. We're just going to stack does as high as we can stack them. And, and, you know, right there in the heart of the rut, my uncle has two, you know, four and a half year old deer walk by him in one day and he shoots both of them. And, you know. (laughs) He's, you know, but anyway, um, you know, we, we've got, you know, we, we're, we've got a lot of nice deer on the property this year. Um, I've, I've been entirely doe focused and have been shooting does and I've, I ran into one of the, one of the nicer bucks in bow season. Mm-hmm. He was kind he was coming out of his bed. It was, I mean, he was like right at first light, he was coming out of his bed, still had that sleepy look on his face and he didn't quite, I mean, he just didn't quite get close enough where I was willing to, to, to put an arrow in his direction beautiful deer and then um uh i messed up man i was i was headed this is the day the sunday after time changed the sunday that time changed uh i was running late because the i i didn't because the time changed and i didn't think about it and so i was an hour late getting to my stand and as i'm walking up the climbing the ridge line to this stand uh you know one of the biggest mature deer that we've seen on the property in a, quite a long time was standing not 10 yards from the stand eating acorns. And this deer was so big, Mark. He was so big. The only way I know how to describe it, I'm not talking about his antlers. I didn't even look at his antlers. I'm talking about his body mass. His body mass was so big that when he when he when he ran away, he jumped and ran, it took him a minute to get going. Like he, was, <laughs> he there was no light on his feet, no skipping away with his tail up. It was almost like he was like revving the engines, trying to get all of that body mass moving. And it was, you know, just this huge, huge deer, you know, had I been on my game and not been late, uh, you know, I probably, probably would have had a chance at that deer. And then we've been, man, I've got five-year-old twins. They're old enough to, to be interested in this two five-year-olds in a deer stand, man, it is like (laughs) having a one-man band up there. And so I'm also balancing that, like how serious this year do I want to be when I've got, well, on one hand, I'm I'm trying to stack does to the sky. On the other hand, I've got two five-year-olds that want to go deer hunting every time I go. So right this year, we're kind of taking a year off from the mature buck thing. We're shooting a lot of does. We're letting the kids go, letting them have a good time. And uh, just, you know, dialing back a little bit. Now that being said, Saturday morning when I get a chance to be in the woods and that, you know, and a mature buck walks out, I'm not going to hesitate. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You know, some of the best hunts I've had, I mean, you know, sometimes you're you're buck hunting during the run and you have a, a plan, you know, to kill, try to kill a buck. Maybe not a particular buck, but a buck and works. But sometimes you're just going out to go hunt. Maybe hoping to shoot a doe. And that's when the buck comes out. So many times, like that's why. I, like, if I kill a buck and I post a buck picture on Instagram and I say, like, I'm surprised it works out. Like, Usually, I, I generally am because I I will try to kill bucks so many times, hunt so many times with different plans for bucks, and they just don't work out. But sometimes it just it just. We went through a phase where, after many years of having the farm and you know letting young bucks walk and work in the land we were building the population up a little bit we already had a lot of deer but we were you know there's definitely something where as you improve habitat you're going to hold more deer you're going to see more deer more deer utilize land which means you need to shoot more deer more than likely and we were going through a phase where we were growing bigger bucks we just you know we weren't shooting them young and then we were getting we're, we were getting them on trail camera and they're getting all excited oh you know we got this number of big bucks on trail camera going in the season, we're going to hunt them. And this buck was on this camera. So then this stands buck only, you know, no does on this, on this food plot, bucks only there. Therefore we let the does walk, try And then we did that for a couple of years and it just, we, I was, you know, you, you look back on a harvest logs and our doe numbers went down and we weren't shooting that many does. And then we were going right into a phase of, we were seeing way too many does and we were barely seeing these bucks. I was getting the bucks on camera, but we weren't seeing them. And it's exactly exactly. I, I think it was very much like what you said, you know, they don't have to move. You know, we have thickets. And so I, I got, you know, we got in a situation where how, how can we see and shoot more bucks? That's not what we're about. But at a certain point, it's like we have them. What are we doing wrong? And we just started hammering does, and I, I've got one biologist friend. Um, he works South Carolina. He always tells us, you know, shoot, you know, it's like shoot, you know, shoot fifty and then shoot twenty more. I mean, you know, shoot as nah, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Shoot as many as you can, and then shoot twenty more. Um, just because, like, just like, like what you said about when the when the Georgia DNR issued their 2019 survey it's like how are they doing that survey i remember reading about um the hilton head deer population like within sea ponds and sea ponds is a big master plan community on hilton head island which is relatively small i think hilton heads maybe like two Maybe like twenty thousand acres, something like that, anyways, they thought that the population was like one number and it was like five times the amount because they, they're just hard to count And it, and so yeah you're you're right I mean it's it's um sometimes you just have to relax the season's long, take your time and hunt so you mentioned bow hunting, so you so you bow hunt early season, can you tell me a little bit about your bow setup i mean are are you a big do you kind of do it? do you split your time between archery and and firearm or what's your setup like?
1: I'm relatively new to archery. Now I've always screwed around with it. Right. Yeah. But, but by and large, we're gun hunters. I got into archery, got into archery, you know, like it, like got sucked into it. Like it does to people, uh, within the last few years, because I got obsessed with bear hunting. And uh, if you're going to kill a bear in the North Georgia mountains, your best chance is early season during archery mm-hmm. season. And why I got obsessed with this. I have no idea. It just, it's one of those things, right? You know, I, I can blame Steven ranella um, and, and meat eater and all that a little bit. I can blame one of my good friends who kind of put two and two together and said, you know, we can do this in Georgia. We don't have to go out West, but, Uh, myself, and then a good friend of mine, Mac Jenkins, we got utterly obsessed with shooting a black bear in the North Georgia mountains. And, um, that led both of us pretty deep into, into an archery obsession because it is, it is so much easier, uh, in September to kill a black bear than it is later in the year.
0: Um, Why Why is that?
1: Uh, the hunting pressure is significantly less. Uh, the, the bears are more active um and some of the properties this is public land hunting some of the properties uh man when when so like the property that we're hunting it's a wma in north georgia they only have two rifle hunts a year they have one in october and one in december and they're about three or four days long And man, when, when, when that first October rifle hunt rolls around, it is like the orange army descends (laughs) on that property. I mean, you're just, it's just orange everywhere. Right. And, you know, you're talking, you're talking about a property that's, uh, let's say it's a hundred thousand acres, which doesn't mean much because it's all straight up and down. So, you know, a hundred thousand acres, but you're you're only hunting maybe 10% of that, maybe 15%. You got all these hunters coming in there that, that, october hunt they're taking between 30 and 50 bears off that property in in that that one four day october hunt that's a lot of bears dnr dnr manages for one bear per mile in the state of georgia um and so that's 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 a lot of bears coming off that property so if you want to get in early and get your bear or your two bears because in georgia you're allowed to um get your bear or your two bears uh, uh before the first rifle hunt comes up and so we got we got super obsessed with it. So um, my archery setup is primarily tailored around bear hunting in the mountains of North Georgia, and then I'm just shooting deer with it also. So when I when I, you know, got rid of the old Craigslist compound that I'd had since I was a kid, and I bought an actual bow, um, I went with the uh, the Bowtech Carbon Zion because it was the lightest bow in its class, and we're walking. <laughs> 10, 12 miles a day up in the Georgia mountains looking for these black bears. I want, everything is on my setup in that regard is super light. Everything from my pack to my boots, everything's light. And so that, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Um, I'm, I'm primarily for me, bow season is bear season. And, and then I'll shoot a few does or, you know, a buck if I have a chance. Uh, but when deer season rolls around, and when I think of deer season, I think of rifle, when when rifle yeah. season rolls around that's when we get we get serious about about deer hunting and you know my dad my uncle my cousin that are hunting all the place they, they they've they got crossbows they're you know they're all in their 60s um and they're they're happy with crossbows and, and they're killing a lot of deer with them uh but uh but yeah i've i've last four four or five years i've been been archery hunting and um i really enjoy it you know i, I really enjoy it. if i had killed uh you know this late in the season if i had killed my you know, kind of mature buck that I was hoping to get this year already, I more than likely would be back a hundred percent to archery hunting just because I enjoy it so much. Like it's still new. I'm still figuring yeah. it out. Like, and, but you know, I'm still, I still haven't killed a mature buck or a buck I still haven't killed a buck this year. Uh, so I'm still taking, taking the rifle when I go, but uh you know, if, you know, this weekend, if I get a nice deer, I'll probably, you know, put the gun back in the safe and switch back over to archery hunting just because i enjoy it so much
0: i'm intrigued by this we're going to come back to what you just said about hunting uh it's your place and rifle and bow but let's get back to bear for a second what kind of broadhead um are you using reason I reason my ass, i uh i had we're fixing um, to
1: get into the whole cut on contact heavyweight
0: no, I'm just.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm happy to. do it. No,
0: I'm. I'm just curious about the broadhead. I I usually ask when people say they bow hunt. I usually ask them broadhead. Just out of sheer curiosity, what you said about bow hunting is very similar to me. I bought my first bow. I don't know seven years ago, and I do it a lot. I love it because the of how of how it's a it's a different type of hunt. I mean, I like that close hunting. You know, get in tight, but. Um, you know, it's like what you said about you know hunting at your place. I mean, it's like you're either bow hunting or you're managing your population. Like you can't do both, in my opinion. Like we, you, you can't you can't exclusively bow hunt. And in my area, and it sounds like your area, you probably couldn't kill the number of does you need to with a bow. It, it'd be you'd have to be really, really, really good. And it's just almost, um, so anyways, it, it I guess my question should be, do you, are you using a different broadhead than you would with a deer?
1: No. So I'm using, uh, uh, you know, your standard Grim Reaper expandables. Um, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch over mm-hmm. to, to cut on contact heads, uh, you know in in the coming season just to try it out um that man the it's even here in georgia the little bears that we have in georgia that and that the hair is so dense and their hide is so thick that you really need every advantage to get through that yeah you can get and i and I, i do feel like a cut on contact head with a little higher foc would probably be the way to go i'm not interested in some 700 grain you know arrow setup um but uh i'm going to give it a shot in the coming year and and see now you know the grim reapers are a great broadhead in, in my very limited experience and knowledge uh and i've been real happy with them on on deer and there's some some guys that are killing really big bear out west with them without any problems um but i would like i would like to give the cut on contact head a try uh, in the coming bear season and just see if it might handle that hair and that that skin a little bit better
0: yeah yeah i've heard what yeah i have never i've never gone bear hunting so um it's intriguing um yeah I was talking to I talked to someone else Dr. Dr Chris Jenkins um he was on the podcast a while back he does some bear hunting uh north Georgia as well um, he's with the Orion society it's a that's it's a, right yeah it's, it's, a, Dr. it's a,
1: Dr. Jenkins has got it dialed man if if anybody's interested in bear hunting in Georgia just give him a follow on Instagram yeah. and it will blow your mind. He's killing big bears generally two a year. He's tagging out. He's killing big bears on a regular basis, you know, every year. And yeah. Um the guy, he's a he's a he's a wealth of information. He does some great work professionally and he is uh and he, he's dialed in on it, man. It, it, he's he's hunting some cool spots up there and um he's killing big big bears. You know, even you know, Georgia Bears typically don't get super big unless they're living on private land eating horse feed or or Uh, or sorghum fields or whatever but he's getting up in the high ridges and he's killing big you know 200 250 pound bears up on the high ridges
0: that's awesome
1: pretty cool it's pretty cool to watch he's a he's a heck of a bear hunter for sure
0: yeah yeah that that's what a that's what it sounds like so so the rest of the season what, what what's your plan just you're gonna just hunt, you know. Just go out there, and have fun, hunt, and maybe take take some does and hope a you know hope a buck comes out. Or what's your plans the rest of the season, hunting wise at your farm? Um,
1: uh, you know we we did not do any food plots this year. Uh, both both tractors were out of commission when it was time to plant, and so that changed things for us a lot. And so we don't have any we don't have any food plots in this year. And you know the the acorns are either buried under six inches of leaves or they're gone um and we don't really do a whole lot with with feeders we've got uh, two feeders three three feeders that are out and um i this is not a slight against uh, hunting over a corn feeder i don't have a problem with it whatsoever i just don't do it that often yeah and uh, i am in full support say this again for the people in the back i am in full support of any legal method of hunting um but uh i just i don't i don't do it that do it that often I don't, I don't sit over a corn feeder that often um but that's probably because we didn't get any food plots in with both tractors being being in the shop when it was time to plant that's probably what i'm looking at the uh the rest of the season i've got one buck on camera uh he's a beautiful deer that's that's cruising every night cruising uh, two of the three feeders and, hmm. and, um, I'm hoping to, to catch him at one of them, um, you know, uh, before the season ends, he's a, he's a, a, a beautiful deer. He's probably four and a half years old. I mean, you know, we, we take our best guess, right? Yeah. There's, sure. no, there's no real way to know how old a deer is unless, you know, you're pulling teeth and that kind of thing. But, yeah. Um, he's probably four and a half years old and, and, um, you know, just, Big body, beautiful rack, big Roman nose coming up on him. And and so if he shows up at, at one of these feeders a little early for his schedule, I'd be happy to take a shot at him. Um, but I'd also like to limit out on doe. So I've got three, three more doe tags that I'd like to fill. Um, and so what I'm doing uh, is I'm, I'm mostly hunting evenings, uh, afternoons and evenings, and I'm watching does until the last possible minute. That I can take a shot and still be able to see enough to get right.
0: I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I'm
1: giving that buck every possible yeah. chance I can give him to show up before I pull a trigger on on one of those does. And I, I'll probably get a lot. You'll know, probably get folks saying that you know I'm just going to run him off if I'm doing that, and he just sit there and not shoot and sneak out after dark and all. I yeah I know I know, but I also as bad as I want to kill that deer. I also just as badly want to want to fill my dough tags. So, you know, we're going to try and even that out as best we can. So that's my strategy. I'm, <laughs> I am uh, I am giving those does uh, a free pass until the last possible second of shooting light. Uh, and if that buck doesn't show up, then I'm I'm picking off a dough And you know, if I get lucky, I'll pick off two does. So we'll see how it goes.
0: I like that. Yeah, no, you 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 won't hear any criticism from me. I mean, I, that's a lot of. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I do, I mean, I, unless I've seen, unless it's like during the rut or, or maybe pre-rut and I've seen a buck in a certain area, like very recent. And I feel like I've got a good chance of seeing them again. And I feel like if there's does out that I can leave without spooking said does, I might not shoot them. Maybe then, but any other time in the situation that those are moving through, I'm shooting because you'll like what you said, you'll never fill your doe goal your antlerless, antlerless deer goal if you don't shoot them and if you, you wait around and then, especially like, like this time of year, it's great that you got on them early because I, I, you know, there's been years early on where we try to, you know, not really get after them until after rut, And man, when you're trying to shoot a doe, sometimes they can be difficult, especially this time of year, because they've been harassed, you know, by bucks and hunters. And, but, um, I've had some luck and actually I've got a couple cell cameras and I've been seeing some good buck movement on food sources or traveling to food sources pretty early. And this is that time of year for us where a lot of, um, a lot of deer, a lot of the rutting activities kind of winding down, even those fawns that went in a rut or some of those does that didn't get bred the first time. And these bucks are just, they're so underweight. And that's what you, you mentioned. It's hard to age. And a lot of times like, like right now it, it's hard to age bucks right now because of, of how, of how cut they are. Uh, A lot of ours will have like right now they have that athletic cut where they don't have a a belly. It just kind of goes diagonal right back, almost like a bird dog. Uh, But you're right. You know, you you just got to shoot them. And what we've been doing the past couple of years is trying to have a little make, make it kind of fun, having like a little doe tournament in in September when we can start shooting them. And we're going to have another little doe weekend this weekend, invite some friends up, make it fun and shoot, you know? And, uh, you know, the bucks will come, you know, they, they they're, and that's what, uh, you know, just doesn't really, I don't think it gets talked about enough to, you know, if you want big bucks, shoot the does, it's like, you know, you got to shoot them and, and it'll come. And so, um, you know, yeah, no, you're, you're not gonna, I, I do that quite often. We do that a lot as a family and guest where you have some deer out, Maybe you're waiting for a buck and, you know, nothing comes out, just shoot a doe, get in, get out, you know, because I, I look at it as like, you're already there, you know, you're already sitting in that tree or that ground line or that stand, your presence is, is already there. You know, you're going to walk in, walk out, especially like, like leaving at night. That's what I worry about so much. It's like, even if you don't pull the trigger, um, you're going to educate some deer leaving, a deer is going to see you, or hear you, or smell you. I mean, I do you have not like policies or guidelines, but are, are you? How do you work hunting your land, hunting your farm, and having the rotation? Or uh, do you rotate the stands? Are y'all hunting? Y'all try to have gaps of time between hunts, um, or are you just very conscious about where you hunt, the wind, and your access? Just to you know educate as as few deer as possible
1: i I think about that a good bit deeper probably than than anybody else that's hunting on the property um, that's getting for us that's getting a little close to to work on this and mm-hmm we don't we don't have any we don't have any guidelines or rules of the property or anything like that that of course that is anything other than you know georgia hunting regulations right you know we're we're shooting legal deer le- and within the quantity allowed by the state and and that's about it um you know we're you know we're not running four wheelers through the property blaring music from a water tooth bluetooth speaker that's you know attached to the side of the atv or anything like that right we're not you know we're not doing anything loud and crazy on the property that's gonna run deer off um you know we all we all park uh you know on the edge of the property and walk in nobody's Mm -hmm. nobody's driving in or anything and so we don't worry about it, I guess is what I'm getting to is we don't worry about it a whole lot because we're really just, we're we're not, I, I don't see anything that we're doing, um, really being a, being a problem as far as running deer off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, aside from about this time of year, when they're getting a little nervous about sticking mm. their head out from behind a pine tree, because there's been a lot of lead flying, right? Um, <laughs> But I just, I I don't, I don't see it as something that we need to be worried about. And I don't want to put any sort of rules or guidelines or constraints other than, you know, state law on the property that would take the, just the fun out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I get it. I, I get some properties the need for it. Uh, you know, we're a, we're a, man, we're a close knit family and I think we've all got a pretty hard and honest understanding of of what we're doing here um i can understand some properties where you've got a lot of guests coming in or you know you've got a bunch of different guys that are gone in on a lease that don't really may not really know each other that well mm-hmm. outside of the lease or something yeah. like that right like you know in a situation like that um i can really understand there being a handbook or you know we're you know rules like you got to kill three does before you kill a buck or something like that like man all that's understandable and when we were when we were part of a of a lease uh prior to to being outbid by some out-of-state out-of-state folks and i'm not i'm not bitter about that at all that's just that's how you know that's how it works is that the highest highest bidder gets the lease um but there were there was some of that some of that talk of uh what's what's you know what's what's actually they had it backwards <laughs> They wanted to, they were, they were saying, you know, let's kill a buck before anybody, before you're allowed to kill a doe. Um, one of the guys that was in that lease, it was kind of in a leadership position. His idea was you don't go to a nightclub where there's not any girls. And so we want our property to be the nightclub that's got all the women. And so by, by Hmm. doing that, nobody kill a doe until you've killed a mature buck. It's a little backwards, right? But you know, that (laughs) was 15, that was 15 years ago. People didn't, people didn't know about doe harvest like they do now right oh yeah so yeah we, we all that to say we're a very close-knit group we've been hunting together for longer than i've been alive these guys have been hunting together and there's a pretty solid understanding of what we're doing here we're we're killing does we're shooting mature bucks um when we can we're taking care of the property to the best of our ability and we're having a good time doing it
0: nice i like i like that approach yeah we we we, you know, we try to take things as serious as possible and try to, you know, if we have have someone up to hunt, you know, hopefully convey to them that we're, you know, serious about what we're doing in the sense that, like, you know, we want that person to kind of respect, you know, the game, respect our place, and not just, you know, shoot the woods up. But at the same time, you got to have fun. People are going to make mistakes, and it's got to be fun. And when it becomes work – that's when sometimes you got to stop and just like reevaluate things. Do you think there's a certain level? I mean, I, I have my own opinion about this, but do you think there's a certain level, um, you talking about, you know, y'all aren't really, you know, you hunt the way you hunt works. You think there's a certain level of, you know, there's uh, what am I trying to say? Um, a, I feel like with deer and you can feel free to disagree with me, that's probably fine because I'm just some guy with an opinion. I feel like with, at least with our place and every, every place is different that there's, there's a certain amount of like good human pressure, you know, that in the, in the early days of our farm, we had it, you know, we weren't up there as much and you would drive through the property and, and you would bump deer, you drive and through your, you know, your truck to the property, you'd bump deer. And then slowly over time, We were up there more, more work. We bought some tractors and then it's like the deer got used to us. You know, we we wouldn't bump them in our truck. Like right now, if you drive to the property, you're probably not going to bump a deer in a pickup truck. You're probably not going to in a golf cart or a Jeep or, you know, an an electric golf cart. But when you get out and start walking in the woods or or step out of your truck, walk a couple of steps. Then some does pop up right off the road. It's like, and what I'm getting is, I think sometimes people get so caught up in, you know, access and they, and, and you can only hunt this, you know, once a month. And they, you know, but I feel like the deer need to know that you're there because they got to feel some level of comfort so that when you do hunt, when you do show up, do work, they don't, you know, they're, they're used to a little bit. Do you, do you feel like there, there there's some, what do you, do you know, well, we're like talking
1: about we're talking about the most adaptable big game animal on yeah. the planet exactly you know? and I agree with you and I often wonder if I'm wrong like I, I think about this a lot am I wrong in in believing that this has either zero effect mm-hmm. or in or the possibility of a positive effect um that uh you know that we're on the property and you you hear this a lot it you know and we have you know a couple of kind of quote-unquote refuge areas on the property that that we don't normally go in uh we've done some hinge cutting to really thicken it up and and um I broke the rules on that a couple uh last week and, and went into one of them because I was getting a little desperate to fill a buck tag and you know it didn't work out for me but we've got you know areas on the property that we're not in um and that we're not messing around with but you know we're on it a good bit and my my parents uh live at one end of it my uncle lives at the other end you know full time um and you know i'm out as much as i can be with uh either myself or or my my five-year-olds and man we're going for walks we're you know we're running dogs uh we're you know just enjoying being outside Uh, we also, you know, we're squirrel hunting, we're doing small game hunting, nothing, you know, nothing will, uh, get a deer hunters, uh, rile up like, you know, some, like talking about somebody walking through the woods, squirrel hunting. Um, but, uh, (laughs) we're, we're on the, we're on and in the property a good bit. And we still, we kill a lot of deer and we typically, um, you know, get at least one mature buck per person every year. And
0: that's a great, that's a great setup.
1: You know, if, if, if we're doing that, if we're killing a lot of does and we're most of us are getting a mature deer or at least getting a chance at a mature deer, Mm -hmm. um, could it, is it, could it, is it possible that this is the wrong approach? I mean, I don't know if, if not going on the property or not going deep into the property, is, is a better way to handle it. I'm really just not that interested in it. Cause I enjoy being on the property, especially now that it's no longer, you know, my, my full-time home I'm in town, you know, I've got a, I've got a job and a family and kids have got to be close to a school and, and all that. So, you know, we're, we're in town now. So when I get to be on the property, I want to be on the property. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much better, our hunting could get maybe some of the maybe some of the, the five and a half six and a half year old deer would spend more time on the property if we weren't as active on it as we are um but uh, you know i'll take that trade off for the ability to be to be on the property like we are i'll take it i think it's worth it but also i think we're talking about the most adaptable big game animal on the planet and uh, people worry about this way too much is is my honest
0: opinion <laughs> I completely agree. a thousand percent. yeah, I you know it it I think sometimes there's certain people that I mean, you know if you're if your if your career, if your job, if your sole source of source of income comes from you know deer hunting related content. not a biologist or researcher, but like a talking head, celebrity podcaster, whatever you got to fill the airwaves. You got to fill the articles. You got to fill a space because that's what you're doing. I mean, it's like a, you know, a sports analyst, you know, they're, they're talking, how they got to talk. So they're going to talk about this kind of stuff. And I think people, like you said, overthink that it doesn't have to be like a, like a complete sanctuary, you know, and deer, like you said, they're, they're the ultimate, in my opinion, the ultimate prey species. Um, I mean, from what they found, the earliest fossils, they've been around for 4 million years. I mean, they've, and the, and, and the predators, they have outlived, that have died off, are, like, pretty pretty incredible. If you go back in time and kind of look back and then you think about, like, some of these neighborhoods, you know, um, where there's a gate, you know, some kind of residential neighborhood where deer go into, that's where some of the biggest bucks are. And, you know, we're doing all this stuff and our farm burning and this and that. And then you, then you got these big, massive bucks that are in wa- around Washington, DC, Metro or, or Atlanta or wherever there's places around here, but places everywhere they have them is because they're stress-free it's because there's not a whole lot of predators and the humans around them aren't touching them. They're maybe petting them or feeding them and they're just stress-free and they're growing the big antlers. And so it's, Kind of those things where you know we can talk about all this stuff, but at the end of the day, I mean, my take on on deer after having managing our family farm for seventeen years is, like you said, they are highly adaptable. They are very smart, but they don't they're not an ultra intelligence. They're very smart. They have the routine and they have their biological makeup that they're going to do every single year. You know, hit the rut same time every year. And they've got to feed, you know, six to 8% of their body weight every day if they want to stay healthy. So like they've got to get up and feed they're, they're feeding something. If you're not seeing them they're doing something else, but they are adaptable and, and they're not, and these bucks don't really leave, You know, if you, if you, you know, if you were to shoot that doe that you mentioned and that buck was 50 yards back in the woods about to come out, but it was too dark and you didn't even see he was there. He's not going the next County over. He, you know, he, he's not, he probably heard a shot. He's going to mosey on, but he's going to be in, in the general area. He's, he's not going far. So yeah, I, I agree. I agree completely in your approach with your family land. I think it's spot on. That's what we do. I mean, you got to have fun with your kids. If you take things too serious where you're not enjoying the property recreationally, then just, be, then this doesn't become fun, you know, and when you share the land with your family it it allows you to hunt more you know you know you you've taken the kids and it's 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 definitely something that uh i think is worthwhile um
1: and you know it almost never fails um people that are you know from georgia will will know g o n Georgia outdoor news mm-hmm. it almost never fails that g o n runs a cover at least once a year of a buck that was killed in the metro atlanta area that is just the most massive thing looks yeah. like somebody looks like uh scotty beamed him up the the midwest somewhere and beamed him back down into into atlanta and somebody you know some bow hunter shot this pope and young monster i mean and atlanta's a atlanta's a hellhole man like you couldn't you couldn't get me to live in atlanta yet these massive bucks are living in atlanta and people are people are hunting them, killing them. i've got a, a good friend that bear hunts with us from time to time that that lives in atlanta and and he he sneaks into this little uh this little patch of woods that's owned by the hoa and and that's it and man if they were found out they'd see him alive but you know, he's killing massive deer right there in this little, little two acre refuge, quote unquote refuge that the HOA has. And and it, it, you know, it's, it's the most adaptable. It's gotta be the most adaptable big game animal on the planet. They don't care. They, they're they not paying any attention to it. They're just, they're deer doing deer, doing deer things. And I really don't think it matters enough. Now I, I could see if the cards were different and, yeah, you know, and, 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 I was not hunting, not able to hunt, uh, the amount of days that I am. And I really, and and I really wanted the days that I had to, to be, you know, to really pay off for me. I can understand being extremely strict about land management, about, uh, you know, harvest ratios, about people being on the property, that kind of thing. Like I, I don't fault uh, guys that follow that line of belief for, at all. Uh, I could fully see myself doing it where the cards, you know, where the cards different, where I was going to hunt, you know, I was only going to hunt the rut, say, I'm, I'm only going to hunt the rut. That's all I'm going to hunt, man. I need, and, and it's not like I'm going to hunt the full week or the full two weeks of the rut. Like I'm just going to get a couple of days out of that. If I was one of those guys where that's what I was getting out of my deer season, I would want that property to be as pristine And untouched as possible so that when I got my few days during the peak deer movement of the season, it was going to pay off for me. I get it. Yeah, I get it, but that's not our situation. And, um, and yeah, I wonder about it. I wonder about it occasionally if, if I'm doing it wrong, we're doing it wrong, but man, we're, we're killing a lot of deer. We're, we're all, you know, we're getting chances. We're getting, we're getting mature deer. We're getting chances at mature deer for the most part on a pretty annual basis. Um, I think, I think we're all right.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're beyond all right. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I mean, based on what you have told me, this is extremely impressive for for your size farm. I mean, 150 acres, what you, what you have been telling me is like, wow. Yeah, no, it's extremely impressive because, you know, you're hunting smartly how you want to, but you're out there hunting and you're in your shooting and, you know, you're taking it serious and doing a lot of right things, you know, run fire through, but you're also enjoying the property. You know, you're, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not cutting yourself short. You're, you know, you're, you're hunting and, and you're doing things the right way. And it's good to talk with someone that's very like-minded. But um, we have a lot of things in common as far as how we manage. And it, it it's also very good to talk with someone that, very similar hunts how i do where we hunt you know you and i we're hunting our property we're killing and um it can be done you know i mean you can i mean it, it can you can manage the land use it hunt it and consistently still see and shoot deer and that's the thing it's like you're still going out seeing deer it's not like you're have shot a couple deer and they all just left they're hanging oh, around no, no. They, we're, they, we're,
1: we're seeing deer yeah. yeah and they're they're there and you know it it's I, I, you know, I, I pull it off one, two times a year where, you know, shoot multiple deer in, in one sitting. Um, and I just, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have the, uh, the effect on, on them. Like I think people believe it does. Um, right. you know, and now of course, as you get later in the season and they're used to, they're, they're, they you know they're they're definitely changing movements the research done by mississippi state uga and others show that, that hunters do impact the deer herd but i think that there's when you're talking about 1.27 million deer in yeah. the state of georgia um they gotta go somewhere man like that many deer that's a huge mass of living creatures on on a relatively you know small landscape they they gotta go somewhere and so
0: absolutely. it's, I,
1: it's not like you're going to run them all down into Florida, you know, because everybody's <laughs> hunting, you know, they're Yeah. Um and I I I think that honestly I, I think we have better days in the stand when uh there's more activity on the properties that are around us. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's kind of keeping things moving, right? Absolutely. And, yep. Um, when, when we hear, uh, you know, a good bit of trucks going in and out, we hear ATVs running on cross property line. We hear a lot of shots, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, we tend to have a, we tend to have a better day. Um, whereas some of the days like, I, you know, every once in a while I can get a weekday morning where I can get out and, and hunt before, before I need to log into work. And, um, you know, it's perfectly quiet. There's, there's nobody else for, you know, seemingly miles around and, you know, I might see a few does, but, but that's, that's going to be it. Uh, but on the days when it seems like it's pretty busy around us, we're seeing more. Yeah. Deer.
0: What, um, what on average is average in the right word, uh, typically when you have deer in front of you, doe, fawn, buck, whatever you got a deer out in front of you, you're watching and then a neighbor shoots whether it's kind of distant or, you know, a, a neighbor's yeah, pretty close by. How, how do your deer in, interact to some lo- some loud, you know, shooting? Because that's something that, I mean, I have my own experiences, people shooting around and sometimes deer don't really, don't get phased. And other times they kind of look up and look around and they don't, but I've never really noticed them run off. In fact, I, a lot of times if I'm hunting in the in the timber in the mature pine trees and I'm climbing It happens sometimes in fields with like younger deer, but even like, I I see it more like older deer, mature does and bucks. Sometimes if you shoot in the timber like that, it's hard. It seems like it's hard for them to like place the sound. Like they hear it, but they don't really necessarily, I'm guessing because they're not running off. A lot of times they just kind of stand, they just stand put, or they just keep going about what they're doing, but they rarely are they just fleeing. And I say that because I like a lot of people get caught up in, over hunting and shooting rifles and as opposed to bow hunting, what have you noticed as far as deer behavior after like a close shot?
1: Man, they don't pay any attention to it. You know, um, uh, the other evening, uh, I, I shot two does the other evening and I was, I mean, absolutely surrounded by does. And, um, I mean, and when I say surrounded, I mean, like there was one, uh, literally underneath my stand eating acorns. I mean, she was. It was. It was like <laughs> as she was chewing, it was just like ringing in my ears because she was just right there, and you know, surrounded by does. There were seven or eight does out in the oak flat, kind of all around me. And um, I picked out the biggest doe, and uh, and and shot her. And then the one that was under, literally under, under the stand, um, just kind of trotted out, you know, 15 or so yards mm-hmm. and turned around and looked at me like, what was that? And there was just standing there and the rest of the does have all, they've noticed like, you know, a two seventy goes off right there by beside your head. You're going to notice, right? I'm not saying that they're immune to this massive sound but they're not flagging their tails up and, and hauling tail through the woods, you know? And so I picked out the second largest doe and, and, and shot her too. And that the second shot, um, I think was enough for most of the deer. You know, we, we started at eight. Now we're down to six in my general vicinity. Uh, most of those six deer to be like, all right, something's going on. We need to get out of here. But I probably, had I'd had enough light and the desire to gut and deal with more than two deer, I probably could have taken a third deer. And, um, they're just, it's not, it's not like, it's not a panic response of there goes a rifle shot. Everybody run. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're, they're definitely noticing it now, you know, somebody we're on 150 acres. We're not that far apart when we're, when we're all hunting at the same time. Um, you know, somebody else on the property fires a shot and I'm watching a deer, they don't pay any attention to it. You know, one of them, one of the old, one of the older deer that's, uh, you know, they've been through this for four or five years, (laughs) they're battle, they're battle-worn. They've got some PTSD going on or something. They'll, um, they'll pay a little more attention to it, but no, I don't, I don't think it, it phases them in one bit, uh, to the, to the point that people expect it to. It's not like you fire a shot and every deer within, you know, within the county runs, runs into a different county to get away from you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you're, uh, that's the, the exact same experience, um, that we've had. I just, uh, I think it's important to people, you know, everyone doesn't rifle hunt, but there's definitely this, like there's with, with some people that there's a stigma that, uh, against rifle hunting. A lot of that's outside the South, but there's almost like this, there's this, idea in the hunting world that, that if it's if it's a bow then it's all of a sudden better like you know it's more of an accomplishment you know it's more of a feat and it's like well it's like yeah i mean listen don't get me wrong bow hunting is extremely hard it's challenging i mean it is one little thing that might be out of your control might you, you you might wound the buck of your lifetime and never find it um but you know a lot of those people that are hardcore bow hunting it's like they're living in states where um like I was talking I uh, was talking to someone the other day that um from the south, but he hunts up in Wisconsin some, they have like a like a week or two week rifle season. That's it. That's like a week or two weeks, and that's it. So a lot of these you know, bow only hunters or, you know, influencers or celebrities, they're in these states where they're they're choosing a bow hunt. I feel like because that's that's the bigger opportunity. I mean, if I was in one of the states, I would probably be more of a bow hunter. But down here in the South, our populations and densities are so incredibly large and out of whack in some areas that if you're not rifle hunting, you're 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 not putting a dent. I mean, I I mean, we would we would shoot it would be a fraction. You I know, mean, even if we had crossbows. So, um I like that. Uh, I, th- this has been a very, very fun conversation, Henry. I've liked this a lot. It's um some some good stuff. Let's start to wrap this up, and I'm gonna we'll conclude with the three questions I ask everybody. Isn't there right or wrong answer? Um, first question is um, if you could give the audience a recommendation for for a book, or Maybe some type of media content, hunting related, outdoor related, habitat, whatever you, you know, some, something that, that you would recommend the audience, book, podcast, media content, source of, you know, something. Got anything yeah, that comes sure. to mind?
1: So, uh, man, uh, um, American Coyote. Um, yeah, it's a good one. It, it will, uh, it will disrupt everything you think you know about coyotes and yeah it's has con- man it's controversial uh it really is <laughs> yeah. it, it it is controversial to even mention that book uh or that's not American Coyote America right yeah. is that the name of it yep. yeah yeah Coyote America um and I'm I'm not saying that I you know f- have fully embraced it but it, it, it's a it's a must it's a must read for sure um if uh, if you want a better understanding of of coyotes uh, and um and and you know um yeah I, I would i would i would start there because i i see i see a lot since I've read that book I see a lot of conversation uh, i hear it in person and i see it play out on social media that um, I would have agreed with wholeheartedly before I read that book. And now that mm-hmm. I'm, now that I've read it, I'm like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, you might not be going about this the the right way. I'm not saying that you're not, but you might not. And so I think it's worth giving it a read just to open your viewpoint a bit on managing or, the lack of our ability to manage the coyote as a predator on on the landscape um now we were talking a second ago about deer reacting to the sound of a gunshot i don't think they really do i've never seen one you know scream and and run at the sound of a gunshot but i have seen them uh throw their tail up and run at the the sound of a pack of coyotes lighting up on the you know on the hillside and you know not only does it make uh the hair stand up on on the back of my neck but it, it does it on on the deer too they certainly they certainly uh recognize that predator and and run from it um but yeah coyote america i think uh if you haven't read it uh read it be be prepared to be angry because it'll it'll certainly make you angry and be prepared to uh to be wondering if uh dan flores is is all there or not? Because it, it goes against probably everything uh, that you've ever heard growing up in the southeast uh, about coyotes.
0: Yeah, that's a phenomenal answer. I I very much like that book. I heard him on a podcast. I want to read it and like exactly what you said. It's like it's not. It wasn't really what I expected, and it was hard to. It first was kind of hard to accept it, but I mean, it's it it's hard to not believe and not to go with what he's saying. I mean, it, you know, yeah. So anyway, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. I, I would love, I need to reach out to him. I'd love to have him on the podcast, but yeah, that, that book changed my perspective on coyotes, but you're right about deer, you know, like if you think about what you just said, you know, that this deer hurt the coyotes fire up and run off, but what if that same deer were to heard some kids, you know, or some human just talking or yelling or something. He probably would have done the same, you know, potentially the same thing if it was, you know, they seemed like it was close enough. Cause I I feel like they associate, you know, the coyote sound with with potential danger. All right. Second question is: what is a favorite kind of go-to staple wild game dish? You said you'll eat a lot of venison, doesn't have to be venison, it could be anything. Um, but what's something to where? you've been gone for a while on the road, wherever you've been eating out a lot. You're, you're finally home. You have your freezer full to everything, bear meat, squirrel, turkey, deer, whatever. And you get to decide what you eat. What, what's something that you just, you're going to go for some kind of oh, dish man. recipe. It, it, it can it, be a couple. It doesn't have to be one. I, I get it.
1: it. It doesn't get, it doesn't get any better than, a, a medium rare backstrap cooked yeah. over an open fire like i, I know that's a boring answer I, I don't i'm sorry i don't have this you know french inspired uh five course venison recommendation for you um i just man a a, a medium rare well well seasoned backstrap it just it doesn't get any better than that um my kids are Uh, you know, they're five, they're, they're kids, they're obsessed with tacos and and burgers. So we do a lot, a lot of that. Right. And like, that's a great way for, for kids because it's approachable and recognizable and, you know, it's, it's easy for them. Um, And uh, we do, uh, we do a good bit of cube steak. We, I, man, I just, you know, essentially turn it into a little chicken nugget sized cube steak nugget. Mm-hmm. And man, the kids, the kids get a kick out of that. And once again, it's recognizable, it's approachable for them. Um, and, uh, um, you know, for, for bear meat, it's, it, it's got a, a different flavor to it than venison. Uh, it's a, it's a significantly stronger uh game flavor to it i don't mind it at all i i I enjoy it uh my wife's not a fan of it um but uh you know for for something like bear that's got a lot of a heavier flavor it might work better in a sausage or chili or something where you can kind of mute that out a little bit um but uh you know man we 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 pretty much use venison in place of of beef almost entirely Yeah. yeah i mean we we kill enough deer that um we, we rarely buy any red meat whatsoever. And, uh, and that's nice. Uh, it, it's nice. And that's a whole nother conversation of, you know, of regenerative farming and regenerative ag and all that stuff that we're not going to go into here in the conclusion of this talk, but um, it's, it's nice to to be able to, to pull that much red meat from a regenerative resource that um, is just kind of right there at hand.
0: Absolutely. I mean, pure, red meat i mean i just you know i mean you know you you can argue people can argue about the, how organic it is based on farming practice and what the deer it's not organic be. right i mean it's not
1: everybody everybody around us is feeding them tons of corn they bought it at the gas station it's and these pro,
0: and these protein pellets that man i tell you what there are a lot of different you know, pro, uh, protein. A lot of different. I, I call them gimmicks. I mean, you know, I you know, as far as like this feed and that feed, and some of the brands you see, you're kind of like, huh? You're kind of wondering, you know, like a lot of them, someone look professional, and they've got the testing or or like you know whatever university ran studies or whatever, and then you see something like in a gas station with just like a little label on it, and you're like, what's in there? You know, because I'm going to be eating. Because that's the thing. It's like I'm going to be eating what is going to be eating this stuff. <laughs> so, but yeah, you're right. That, that's a whole wrap. But uh, but that is something pretty awesome that gets overlooked a lot about owning your own land or having your access to land to hunt. You know, that that's, it's a source of meat. I mean, it's just like going fishing. I mean, you, you're, you're stocking, that people know about it, but like, that's why you shoot does. I mean, that's, that's, that's another part of it. It's the pure red meat, you know, especially right now with the cost of meat right now. All right. Third question. Um, what's something that you feel like is a major conservation related issue concern in the South? Um, the conservation has become a buzzword in the hunting space. It gets used a lot for the right reasons. And some people use conservation just as a buzzword to kind of, you know, you know, for basically marketing, they're just using it, uh, you know, they're not really doing, but what, you know, and there's a lot of things going on down here, um, that really kind of gets overlooked. Um, what's something you, you feel like should, should be on, on someone's radar. It doesn't have to be about deer, whitetails in general. It could be about, you know, soil quality or various things.
1: Something that, um, I think can, can cover a lot of these bases is uh population growth in the state of georgia georgia is booming i mean booming atlanta is just an ever expanding nightmare um that is has completely taken over communities that if you would have said you know even three or four years ago pre-pandemic because the pandemic had a lot to do with this pre-pandemic these would become bedroom communities for atlanta georgia people would laugh and and you know call you crazy um and there's a lot a lot of land in this state that is rapidly being built into you know into houses essentially and um That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of, of land that is no longer supporting as many wildlife uh, as it was, you know, of course, as we, as we've talked about already, you know, all of these species are highly adaptable, especially white-tailed deer. But, you know, if you put a house and a bunch of kids and, and, and all that, you know, or a neighborhood in the midst of what was a pasture, it's, it's you know it's drastically reduced the amount of deer and everything else is going to be supported by that piece of property um and then it's it's disturbing it's disturbing the ground and you get a lot of uh a lot of damage to surface waters when you when you're disturbing you know disturbing topsoil uh, a lot of sediment runoff and and that has some pretty uh, wide-reaching effects across the board and so yeah the that i would say that um that that is a, uh, a, a pretty serious threat in this area is just the, the booming expansion of, of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, um, with people just, you know, flooding in because the jobs are here. Uh, yeah. the, the yeah. industries are here. Um, just look at, I mean, Hollywood has essentially taken over Atlanta in the last, uh, uh you know the last
0: five years. It's also Savannah too down here. There's, yeah. there's a lot of film everything uh,
1: yeah. is being filmed you know just south of atlanta now all mm. the all the marvel movies a lot of the star wars franchise films now it's all being filmed just south of atlanta in Fayetteville. yeah and you know and and that's great for the state economy that's great for uh uh for for film uh but uh you know that and a lot of other booming industry has caused the state to undergo a significant population increase people got to have somewhere to live um also uh you know people are, are fleeing uh you know the west and the west coast looking for for a quieter safer um easier way of life and and they're coming here because uh, for now that's yeah, that's what it is for now it is quieter safer and easier um and so yeah that's that's a problem um another another conservation thing that, that uh, seems to be a problem i'm going to give you two answers to this question is that there if you look at the numbers. Uh, there's a significant decrease in the amount of people that are hunting. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't look that way when I, when I leave my house here in town at, you know, 5. AM and and I make the trek out to the the family property, I'm passing a lot of hunting property along the way. And there's a lot of trucks parked at, at pullouts, you know, where people are parking the truck at the gate and walking in or riding their golf cart or whatever in, there's a lot of people hunting, but the data is the not lying when the data shows that there's a significant lack of people that are getting into hunting or that are hunting. And a lot of money uh, through excise taxes and, and license sales and et cetera comes from people, people hunting. Um, and, uh, and so that's a, that's a, that's a problem um i'm not sure what the answer to that is but uh but yeah that's a problem i would say the the lack of hunting and people getting into hunting and the rapid population increase in the state are two big threats to conservation in georgia
0: i like that I like that a lot and i it, it's it's uh, that's an excellent point no one ha- no one said that yeah there, there's um I think doc, um, Dr. Marcus Lashley from University of Florida had him on February, talk about burns. I need to pres- prescribe fire, not just like burns, <laughs> like you're in the hospital, but I'm will Hopefully, hopefully be able to get him back on January February. But he he, he I asked him that question. He said, you know, basically it was like a you know, fragmentation of the land, you know, and it, when I started to kind of, do this podcast and talk to some biologists and kind of dive into that world a little bit, you know, you know, a little bit about it, but you, I really, it really was opening for me because you go out to the country, you know, you go to your farm wherever and you, you just, you are know, driving for an hour two hours in rural country and you think it's just all paradise, but it's not, you know, it's not, there, there's like what I mentioned before, there, there's so many tracts of land where it's just wall to wall timber of all the same age class. Why? It's because, that's the easiest thing for foresters and, and, and a lot of lumber companies and i'm not bashing them but they're it's a business for them and the and sometimes it's easier to go to cut everything plant everything that plant the trees the same time cut the trees at the same time and you know and it, what they're doing is not for for wildlife I, mean, I i drove up to atlanta with my wife which you mentioned atlanta i tell you land's got so bad It used to be I'd love to go for, like, a weekend, just a weekend, you know, for a baseball game or concert or whatever. Now it's just – it's so traffic hits. By the time you hit, like, McDonough, uh, Jonesboro, it's just like, you know you're going to hit something. And it doesn't matter what time of day, it's just going to hit something. But we drove up to Atlanta mid-October for this event that that she – uh, was going to that we both, both went to. Anyways, I sixteen and seventy five eighty five were just loaded with bucks. I mean, the drive from Savannah all the way up to making on sixteen which is buck after buck, small bucks. You know, I guess you know, the rut running around just getting just just getting hit. I mean, they were bucks on, I guess seventy five eighty five, like around the airport in in Atlanta. In fact, I saw one guy. We we were leaving Atlanta. Of course, there's traffic leaving on like a Wednesday morning, a Thursday morning, bumper to bumper. There was a wreck or something. And there was a dead buck, small little buck up against um, like the middle wall. Like it wasn't a wall. It was like a little like half wall, like three or four feet, and a little dead buck. I guess someone maybe drug it over. And it's bumper to bumper traffic, some kind of wreck up, you know, five or six lanes wide on, on my side heading south. And there's this man walking up the edge of that wall. I'm thinking like, if you're walking on the interstate, why would you be right there? Like, why wouldn't you be on the side of the interstate? And then as I got closer, he was holding a a sawzall. And I was like, I was like, I I told my wife, I was like, I know exactly what he's doing. And I rolled my window down and I gave him a fist bump and, you know, know, he was going to cut the antlers off and he had part of his work truck. And, uh, but it's just, you're right. There's just deer everywhere. And I think it gets overlooked because deer are so adaptable. Like what you said earlier. They're so adaptable. They're like, oh, a lot of people, maybe non-hunters, might be thinking deer are doing fine. They're just fine because they're thriving here and they're thriving there. It's like, man, you know, white-tail deer will live in the deserts in Mexico, all the way up to Canada, in the frozen tundra. I mean, they are quite adaptable. You know, I mean, they'll they'll live off stuff they really don't want to eat because that's that's what they have to. So it, it, you, you're right, Our population growth, fragmentation of land, bad farming practices, bad forestry practices, it all adds up. And there's not really a whole lot in place to really kind of help, I think, wildlife you know, managing that side. But that's kind of why, I mean, I've, exactly what you said, I've thought about before in, in different ways. I haven't really put it together. I thought about the, how you did, which is great, but that's why I bring up does. And I wonder if we're – drifting because when you combine the obsession of fascination for big antlers and then the population the fragmentation of the land and not shooting does are we going we're we trending towards in our lifetime situation where we just have some problems population problems and then you enter cwd and then all of a sudden you get cwd in the picture if it comes here which it probably will at some point then it could be a recipe to you know take some deer out it's just uh that's another rabbit hole to go down. Um, but, uh, I do like that answer because I mean, that's a real conservation topic that I don't think it's, gets talked about because another reason people see a lot of deer and think this is great. I've got a great, I've got a wildlife paradise. I see, I see, you know, 20 does and then I see one buck and it's like, well, if you're seeing, you know, 10, 12, 15 does for every one buck, doesn't matter what age that buck is, that there's a problem. Probably. And
1: man it just it it affects everything you know it messes up your rut and it just it, oh yeah it just it, it affects everything and uh i it, it's been good to to see i think in the last couple of years an awareness building yep. around around this and and in an excitement over it um uh over killing does and um you know the, the 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 influencers the youtubers the you know not obviously not everybody just the cringy ones they're <laughs> they're going to continue to be extremely antler focused because it it gets them the attention um that they need in order to continue doing what they're doing and what I'm not knocking it I'm just observing it um but uh yeah it uh it it's important it's important to to harvest your does um and uh excuse me kill kill your does it's important to kill your does and uh and to uh to you know shoot your bucks and just follow the the general north american model of conservation and you'll be all right that's
0: right that's right and, and it's important to have conversations like like this today with with like-minded people you know uh in different areas because i've i've i took a lot of personal notes here and I, I picked up some stuff and it's and it's good to know you know it's good to talk and have this conversation so well, Henry, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Or anything else you want to mention to to, to the audience?
1: No, no, uh, that was it. That was a good chat, man. Thanks for uh, for giving me an opportunity to uh, to share a little bit and and to learn and and to just be part of what all you've got going on and let's do it again. Let's have a chat, uh, you know, some point in the near future about, uh, about bear hunting. And I I think that, uh, I I think a lot of, a lot of your listeners that are, that are whitetail enthusiasts will find a pretty easy, you know, pretty easy adaptation over to bear season. If it's something they're interested in and, um, I mean, even if, uh, even if they just wanted to, uh, you know, maybe get on one bear or something just to have done it. Uh, it's pretty interesting when I, when I got into it, uh, I got, I still got some pretty some pretty funny looks from some diehard diehard hunters that I know are like, you're, you're doing what you're bear hunting. Yeah. It just, yeah. it, it, it tends to blow people's mind. And man, um, there's some really interesting history and, and cultural history around bear hunting that I think people would really get into. So, man, let's, let's get back together at some point in the near future and, 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 you know, do that.
0: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we, um, um, do a podcast on bear hunting. Do you, do you know Chris, Dr. Chris Jenkins?
1: Just through Instagram.
0: Okay. I, you mentioned hunting with someone. Uh,
1: No, I've, I've never hunted with, with Dr. Chris Jenkins. I, um, I hunt my, my main, go-to buddy for, for bear season is a guy named Mac Jenkins. They're not related. It's uh, just okay, chance that, that's that what have, I heard. They have the same last name, but now, Dr. Jenkins and I've had some, a number of conversations, you know, in, in the Instagram message feature. Uh, but, uh, but that's the extent of, of knowing the guy. I would love to, to get, him. Yeah, maybe more. we have a,
0: um, do a, do a, a bear, like a little bear round table kind of discussion. I think it'd be interesting. I have, I,
1: uh,
0: yeah, it's something that uh, I think how that we should. Well, he, uh, Henry, I appreciate you coming on. This is Henry Jackson of the Prattsburg Project. And that's, um, he's on an Instagram at the Prattsburg, which is P R A T T S B U R G project. Um, it's some good stuff. And I like it. I mean, this has been a lot of what you're doing is the exact same thing I'm doing. Very, I mean, as far as the, the land management, the hunting side to it, recreational, and just having fun. So, I appreciate it. Um, this, yeah, this, has been a, this has been a good one. And I, uh, thank you for your time because I, you know, this podcast is only as good as a guest, um, uh, or as bad as I am, but it's with guests like you, you're what makes this podcast. So, uh, I, I do appreciate your time. Please give him a follow. He, he's, um, it's some good, it's, it's some good content guy going out and his family and, Sounds it's like honest.
1: Been, it's it's honest yeah. content. It, it, it there there's no 30 kills in 30 seconds or anything like yeah. that. There's no record breaking bucks uh unless you know lightning strikes or something. It's it's honest mid-Georgia hunting content. That's all it is.
0: That's what I like. You know, there's there's nothing fabricated, there's nothing fake about it. It's your stuff, what you're doing, and I like that. Good stuff. Thanks, sir. Well, Henry, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Um and I'll be in touch.